Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Hub tonight. Who made the first part of our new workplace series last week? Okay, who is still recovering? Um, Mbali, you were amazing. You were amazing. But you know, one of the reasons that Bonnie was amazing is that she, I mean, sorry, Bali was amazing, wasn't just that she spoke out of her gifting, but she spoke out of her experience. I know her a little bit, and I know that every little thing she told us last week came out of her own relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we could see her in the spirit, we would see those scars. Remember when she spoke about the cut of surrender? She's lived it out. And that's why when she spoke to us like that, it carried that kind of authority on her, life, on, on her life. And I want to encourage you to go back to that word, to look in your own lives and figure out where do I have to surrender? Where is that space that it just feels like it's too painful, but that's exactly where you need to go? Because God will come and meet you in that space and, and he will heal that pain. And so we're going to talk more tonight about the life of Joseph. And the sermon for tonight is actually called Prince in Process, Princess in Process. Um, and process is something that just has to happen, okay? Part of the process is disappointment. Turn to your neighbor and say, ouch. <laughs> it's absolutely, vitally a part of the process of purpose. And this is another gorgeous young woman from our congregation, Bonnie, and she's going to, yeah. She's going to just kick us off with an awesome testimony. Go for it, Bonnie. Thank you. Hey. <laughs> so I told my mother this week, uh, Mama, I'm going to be sharing a testimony slash mini teach this Sunday. And she was like, Ha, huh, they gave you the pulpit. <laughs> Which goes to show you, she low key doesn't take me seriously. And also, she humbles me. But uh, Mama made it. Let's <laughs> um, pray. Thank you, Lord, for who you are in our lives. May my words and may your word nourish us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I have wanted to be a writer since I could read. I would walk around um, grade two, break time, holding a sweet valley in my hand uh, because socially awkward, um, not caring if I bumped into people or what people were saying, reading. The entire break, second break, same story. Um, and I remember thinking, when I grow up, I want to make books. And I didn't have a language then for what it means to make books, that it means being a writer, it means publishing, it means et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just remember feeling definitely and surely that um, it felt like a little piece of heaven. And it filled me with wonder. And I wanted to replicate that feeling for other people. Um, and you would think with that kind of determination, my life path would be easy, right? So the script was meant to be matriculate, graduate, graduate with a degree in English literature, um, get a job, write books, win awards, do a TED talk that gets viewed a million times, <laughs> marry, have babies, die. Instead, <laughs> instead life looks a little more like matriculated, graduated, had a string of jobs. Sometimes my articles and essays get published online. No awards, no TED talk, single, no kids, still alive. 
<laughs> I am, in other words, in the process. And I'm not a fan of process because sometimes it's looked like squatting on someone's couch, wondering at least 20 times a month, but what will I eat? Sending SOSs to sympathetic friends and parents to bail me out because I have, once again, not made it to the end of the month. I mean, is it still called broke when that's what your account looks like 60 to 80% of the time? <laughs> um, and if you're Joseph, it looks like, oh, I got sold into slavery. But now I've got my break because I've got the ear of Potiphar. So it's looking up Joseph. But next thing, he's accused of sexual harassment and he goes to prison. So I get what it feels like to be disillusioned because you're out here grinding as hard as you can and not really seeing the results in the time that you want. <laughs> it's funny, in the last two months or so, I feel like I've been trolled really hard. All of a sudden, everybody and their mama wants to know, what do you want? Where do you see yourself in five years? Like everybody, guys, from my boss to my colleagues, to strangers, to the blind date who ghosted on me last week, <laughs> was asking me, <laughs> was asking me this question, and each time I walked away thinking, wow, I really am winking this life thing. Folks talking about next five years, I'm just trying to survive the next five weeks. Um, joking, not joking. But seriously, if somebody asks me that question one more time, it's going to be a fight. It has been easy to walk away from those challenges, feeling like passions are toys, like why? Am I passionate? Oh, no, I'm passionate about what I'm doing. But, what the, but these dreams are real, and these dreams are valid. Unless your dream is to marry Michael B. Jordan, then that's a problem. <laughs> Instead of getting frustrated that I've been dependent on others to sometimes literally survive, or that I'm getting old, I've had to remind myself that the important thing is that I'm showing up. I am trying my best, and sometimes trying is the victory. So that line, that sometimes trying is the victory, is a line I found so profound, and which obviously God wrote through me because bars, 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 drops mic, that I put it in my manuscript, a manuscript which took me on and off for eight years to write, not because it was particularly a difficult subject matter, but because for many years I was scared to write, I procrastinated, or had the block, writer's block that is. Well, eventually I finished it and started sending it off to publishers and agents. So usually a manuscript gets assessed for anything between six weeks to six months. Um, and in the meantime, you just wait. The period for many of the submissions that I had sent initially has already lapsed. And there have been many rejections, some maybes, and we'll think about it, but mostly rejections. And in the midst of all of that, me, the hungry writer, wondering, am I doing the right thing? Am I a writer or just a writer in my head? When did I start believing that I'm an artist? What if I was wrong? Why couldn't my brain retain knowledge so I could be a doctor or a doctor or some profession where money was guaranteed? But here's what I know for sure. One, dreams are not childish fantasies, but they do require a childlike faith. Genesis 37. Oh, sorry, please do clap for me, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Genesis 37, verse 19 to the beginning of 20 says, They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then history goes that he was sold into slavery. 
So Joseph's brothers had issues with him because he was the father's favorite. But the thing they absolutely could not stand was that this guy really thought he had something special. How dare he dream? How dare he share those dreams? How dare he suggest that there was more to life than what they could see, prancing around in his colorful coat like he owns the place? But what Joseph knew is that if you dream with God, then that's God's business, and he will see it to completion. Sometimes it's hard to get the balance between faith and obsession right. So obsession says, I've got to get this at all costs. But faith says, I will not be held hostage by my dreams. And above all, God's will, not mine. Therefore, I trust God. Therefore, I surrender. Two, time is not my boss. The author of time is. <clears throat> be present in every moment, even if you don't like your job. It's growing you for sure. No experience is wasted, but it will be if you have a stinking attitude about it. I've been in jobs I hated with bosses who were dodgy and manipulative, who would gaslight me so bad I would walk away thinking, am I crazy? I would send recordings to Lire, hey, best friend. And I would say, friend, please just listen to this recording and let me know, like, am I, like, I feel like, you know, because that's just how expert some of my bosses were at manipulating. But God taught me to think better thoughts. So instead of waking up in the morning and thinking, I hate my job, which I would do, he challenged me to think and confess, this isn't the ideal job, and it's hard, but I have a job and an opportunity to do something good today. Side note, forgive yourself for the times where you've been a horrible employee. Now that you know better, do better. Back to the main notes. The moment we begin to believe that God is slowing us down or derailing our plans, we are essentially admitting that one, God is not Lord over our lives, and two, we actually don't think that the architect of life itself is skilled enough to design our own. In which case, our hearts need resuscitation. A heart that doesn't dream with God is basically an ICU. Number three, disappointment doesn't have to be the death of you. While you're in prison like Joseph and your life looks stagnant, other people's lives are continuing. Um, <laughs> there were times when it was awkward for me to wish congratulations to old colleagues and peers, you know, or like people you'd see corrodes at the cave, whatever, because afterwards would come in awkward pose, uh, an awkward pause, yours, guys, an awkward pause, and then they would ask, So what have you been up to? And it isn't cute or cool, or sexy to be at the dinner table, or drinks, or coffee, um, or this one time it happened at Afropunk, and respond with an, I'm working on my soul. <laughs> it's not Instagrammable. However hard it is, being disappointed is not an excuse to sell out for, for fame and fortune. If you're going to be an artist, and I think in some way all of us are, a dreamer, someone who wants to impact the world, you will have to take a lot of risks, and disappointment comes with the package. Because some risks pay off and some don't. Um, but if any girl be in Christ, even if she loses, she wins. Because all things, and I mean all things, work together for the good of those who are called and who stick with God. Jessie taught me something about disappointment, which stuck with me. She said, and I paraphrase, instead of telling myself that I'm experiencing disappointment because I'm not perfect or there's something wrong with me, I should embrace the imperfections. Or even if I'm feeling disappointed, I need to understand that I'm feeling it because I know that I deserve better than what I'm faced with. That's why I had hope, because I placed value in myself. She's deep. Get you a disciple that's deep. 
So, so disappointment means you saw the need, you rose to the challenge, and you gave your all. And when it didn't work out, the need remained urgent. Disappointment is really you wanting to fight for the call of God on your life. It's you saying, I shall be a part of thy kingdom come. Number four, I'm an artist. It informs who I am, but it is not the core of who I am. It's taken me a while to say that and not hate it. It's taken me a while to say I'm a writer and not cringe because I feel like, but what have you written in the last two months that anybody has seen other than yourself? Um, and the devil attacks identity. That's like his favorite God. Um, and boy, did he attack mine. But I meet God when I write. And you know you're meant to do it when you meet God in it. When God uses art, creating it and consuming it to speak to you and to speak to others. It's either the enemy makes you question parts of your identity or he makes you adopt certain parts of it as an idol and it becomes now the core of who you are. You have been given the opportunity to share the message of God's love to the world, but you have this treasure in jars of clay. Be aware of that. Fighting for your dreams goes hand in hand with fighting for your soul. If you don't work on your soul, you could be at the height of your career and still be unhappy. This is what it comes down to. Do you trust God? Because if you do, then take him at his word. If you don't, there's hope for you. Get help. We need more people to be committed to doing the work of healing and less committed to the false sense of identity and security that our baggage gives us. Don't camp at the site of your trauma for so long that it begins to define you. Genesis 39 verse 20 one says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. Most of our problem with process isn't even that we aren't where we want to be, although sometimes that's a point of contention. Most of it is that we feel abandoned by God. But if Joseph had spent more time upset that he's in prison than that he was still killed, still alive, and now had favor with his jailers and prison mates, he would never have graduated from prison to the palace. So how you act when you're in it determines if you will get out of it. I don't have a neat ending to this testimony, but I know that right now is important. You aren't living an in-between life or an interlude or a pause. Life is the right now. There's no publishing deal, and, this, and maybe this manuscript won't get picked up Lord knows I don't have 30,000 rands to self-publish, but I'll keep writing, I'll keep trying, and if it never happens, gosh, it hurts to say it. But if it never happens, that's okay. Never mind, God is enough. God is absolutely everything. He is all of the things. Amen. Great, I get to preach after that, so thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome, Bonnie, that was great. Thank you. Yeah, well, <laughs> back to Joseph's life. <laughs> um, I'm not going to read the scripture that I had planned. I think Bonnie actually covered it and pretty much tried to make the points I was trying to make with the scripture. So the point we're trying to make tonight is that disappointment is an unavoidable reality. 
If you are human in this room tonight, you have an expectation for your life, and there's a chance that some of that isn't going to come down. That's all disappointment is. It's an expectation that I had for myself or of somebody else or of God, and it doesn't seem to be coming to pass. And often God is the source of that expectation. Whether you know it or not, every single one of you in this room has a dream tonight. You have a longing in your heart for something to come to your life. There's a lack in your life that you want to be filled. There's something in you that's burning to get out. The mistake we make, and Bonnie addressed this so beautifully, is that we think that when that lack comes to my life, oh boy, then I'm going to start living. When I get to express that thing that's burning in me and 6,000, what was it, a million people like your TED Talk, well, then you're going to start living. And the lie of that is exactly what Bonnie said, that this is your life right now. You've got one life, get busy living it. And Joseph is such a beautiful example of, of doing this. So Joseph had a dream when he was 17 years old, two nights in a row. He dreamt a dream that led him to believe he was destined for greatness, that he was destined for rulership. Guess what? As a 17-year-old, he did what 17-year-olds knew to do. I'm going to rule tomorrow. Hey, brothers, I dreamt about your sheaves and my sheaves. And guess what? All your sheaves bound down to my sheaves. They knew exactly what he was saying. They didn't like him a lot before this because he was daddy's favorite baby boy. They hated him after this. That's what the Bible says. They hated him. Now, I don't care how dysfunctional your family relationship has been. When 11 of your, well, nine of your brothers drag you off into the desert and to kill you, and the oldest one, the only reason he's stopping them from killing you is because he knows daddy is going to be devastated. Then you start talking, well, if we kill him, he's dead. But if we sell him into slavery, we could share the silver out amongst us. When your family hates you so much that they don't kill you just to make money off you, Things are bad. None of you are there just yet. But in his arrogance, Joseph honestly thought he was going to start ruling tomorrow, next week, next month. And the lie of his life, because he walked around in that beautiful coat and he didn't have to work in the fields like the other boys, was that he was already ruling. The truth was he was 17 years old and he didn't have a clue how life worked. Who knows that the day he got chucked into that pit, he started learning. The word process means a continuous action, operation, or series of changes taking place in a definite manner. A continuous action, operation, or series of changes taking place in a definite manner. The bit I hate about that definition is continuous. You know, I'm 46. And I've, I have seen some of my dreams come to pass in this very house. All I realize every morning when I wake up is that I'm still in process. God has done a lot. A lot has changed in my life, but I am not near to where he needs me to be. And so no matter where you are in your life, no matter how successful you've been just last week, no matter that accolade that came to you, no matter that your TED Talk got a million views, what are you going to do tomorrow? Who are you going to be tomorrow? You know, I honestly believe that the reason God gives us longings and desires and dreams 
is because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And us humans are kind of simple. The things we are passionate about, we will sacrifice for. The things that matter the most to us, we will give time and money and energy and effort to. The things that don't really matter to us, we don't even bother with. And so God's wily <laughs> in the sense that he goes, he has a passion for your life. You get to be a writer. And then it's sort of, you start going for it. But then you realize you don't have character. You don't have experience. You don't have knowledge. You don't have understanding. So what do you do? You get down on your knees and you start crying out to God. God, help me. What you don't realize is that's the whole point of your dream. To get you down on your knees and desperate enough to actually ask God to come and help. Some of you are going, click. (laughs) That's why it's been a nightmare for three years. Get down on your knees and scream out for help. See, you will never fulfill your dream by yourself. Let me me tell you a massive secret. That dream isn't even yours. It's God's. You just get to co-labor with him. (laughs) You just get to put up your hand and say, I kind of like this. Can I help? And you know what? Have you ever had a a child in your family who loved you dearly? It's a nightmare when you need to go mow the lawn or do the dishes, isn't it? Because that two-and-a-half-year-old is on your case to help you. They are going to help you. All they are doing is making it a nightmare. But they are so cute, and you love them so much, and you love how they just want to be with you. So what do you do? You figure out how to get them on the lawnmower without killing them. You get to figure out how you can get them into the washing of dishes without breaking too much stuff. Am I right? So guess what? You're like God's two-and-a-half-year-old. You're up there being all responsible for your dream. If I don't do this, nobody, oh my God, I'm the only one who can, oh, the burden. Oh, but the glory, Jesus. Get over yourself. And this is exactly what Joseph needed to do. He needed to get over himself. Now, this is one of the most extreme cases of being taught how to get over yourself. But he gets thrown in a pit. You see, in Joseph's dream, what he told his brothers, what he told his mom and dad, because remember the second dream was stars and moon and sun. I mean, who goes to their dad and then tells them the dream knowing exactly that they're going to know what it means? Joseph focused on the bowing down to. That's what he focused on. That's all he thought about. You're going to bow, that's what he tells them. You're going to bow down to me. That's all he thought about. Do you know that the end of Joseph's life, the bowing down to, was the shortest part of his life? And so the reality is, is that we want relationship with God. We most certainly want his blessing and his favor. But are we willing to pay the price in sacrifice, in surrender? Are we willing to pay the price to say, God, I want you so much, I will take you on your terms. Because guess what? You're actually not going to get him any other way. If you're like, oh God, I love you and I want you, but you know, sex with my girlfriend is so good. And you want me to be blessed. And you're not willing to give that up? How much of God are you going to get? If you tell God, I want you and I need you, and this has been the truth of my life, but you're not willing to pay the price of proximity, what do I mean by that? Bible reading, worship, prayer, living like God is actually the Lord of your life. You're not going to get him. 
You know, in the deserts of, uh, of uh, Sinai, <laughs> in the time of the Exodus, Exodus, when Moses went up that mountain and got the Ten Commandments, do you know what was actually happening there? God was telling him, this is how I will be accessed. Do you know that Moses came down not just with the Ten Commandments, but if you read further in the book, he came down with the blueprints for a thing called the Tabernacle of Moses. That tabernacle told people, this is how God will receive you. You dare come in the back door. You dare come in the side door. You dare try to come up from underneath. It will not work. <laughs> you die, as much as saying. And so God wants our worship, but he dictates absolutely how he will be accessed. At the same time, he is freely available. He is, but it's your choice. Are you trying to come in the back door, trying to come in the side, trying to come up? Or are you willing to go, Jesus, I will take you at your word, and whatever it costs me, I'm coming your way, because that's the richest reward. And so we're so concerned about our destinies, aren't we? As Christians, we're all like, why am I here, Jesus? It's the thing I get asked the most. Can you, what is my purpose? I have no idea. <laughs> Figuring mine out. No. But the one thing I am convinced of, and this is the issue with Joseph, that God gave Joseph that dream because Joseph needed to get busy with what was real. He needed to stop being an arrogant little 17-year-old and start figuring out how life worked. But at the same time, God knew that when he gave Joseph that dream, Joseph's life was more important to him than the completion of that dream. God will not sacrifice you for the cost of your destiny. And that's what Bonnie was testifying about. And this is where the pain lies, because I think that when I get that thing right, when I do it to my best ability, I can shove it in God's face, say, look how good I am, Lord. I did it. And so we get so busy with trying to fulfill the dream, we forget the dream giver. And like I said, every single dream is God's already. You just get to be a three-year-old trying to help him with it. You know, Daniel 11 verse 32 says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. In some of the older translations, it says, but the people who know their God will do mighty exploits. More than us just doing mighty exploits, God wants us to know him. Everything God has ever done from the creation of light is to be in relationship with man. That is it. We keep trying to strip our humanness away and get perfect enough to access God. He loves you in your humanity. He made humans because he wanted humans in all our weakness and our fallibility. Do you know that your actual destiny, it's really easy to know what your destiny is. It's the same for every single one of us to conform to the image of Christ. Romans 8 verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so the ultimate reality of dreams is that it's about partnership with God. It's about relationship. It's about understanding what my part is and what God, God's part is. And the relationship struggle is that we have to trust God is good enough to do his part. And that's the issue of our dreams. And so Joseph's dream <laughs> takes him to the pit 
and then to Potiphar's house, and then to prison. All three of those places are horrible. <laughs> we've all been there. I don't know that we've done quite as well as Joseph. And so Genesis 39, verse 2 to 4 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And you know what? In part of his house, Joseph begins to understand the difference between destiny and purpose. I'm going to talk about it more, but in a nutshell, destiny is God's business. Purpose is yours. Purpose is your responsibility. And the more you get busy with your purpose on a daily basis, the more you set God free to fulfill your destiny. You see, we read that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now, we hear that God was with Joseph, and so we can easily think that he just sat around praying, floating, looking gorgeous. <laughs> that comes later. Um, but what did Joseph do? Now, I honestly believe that you are your purpose. And Bali quoted me last week. It was kind of weird to hear that come out of somebody else's mouth. But you are your purpose. What I mean by that is that Joseph's circumstances sucked. Can we all agree on that? They were highly restrictive. He was a slave. But he didn't act like one. I honestly believe, and I'm using some poetic license here, but I think that Joseph's primary gifting was administration. And so he got into part of his house, and I don't know, maybe they just made him clean out the poo buckets. I don't know. Slaves did nasty things. But while he was doing it, he was looking around going, there's a better way to do this. It really doesn't need to be this nasty. And also, they're paying a lot of money to people who aren't doing the job. And I think he started speaking to the people around and saying, we can, can, we, can, can we, can we, and they fought him on it, I imagine. But I think eventually Joseph came to a point where he, his gift made a way for him. Where they looked at him saying, he's talking sense. Let's do less of that and more of the other slave stuff that actually kind of isn't so bad. And then he wrote, he, his leadership started manifesting, because administration is about leadership. And when his leadership started manifesting, Potiphar started noticing, oh, wow, stuff has changed. The slaves are happier. They like Joseph. Nobody's trying to escape this week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> keep, keep me straight, Marsha. Um, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that every single day, Joseph woke up in slavery to an Egyptian master, to an unsaved pagan boss, and he made a choice to live on purpose. Is your boss an unsaved pagan man or woman? Joseph had exactly the same thing, but he chose to live on purpose. Every single day, he let his natural gifting and temperament manifest. And he made himself useful and of good benefit within his restricted environment. Joseph's goal was not just to get out of there. His goal was to be who he was in there. And this is purpose. This is why you are your purpose. Because wherever you go and whatever situation you are facing right now, there is something in you that can be added to it that can make that space a life-giving space, that can make that space more enjoyable. And because Joseph actually got up and took ownership of his purpose, God was with him and caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The scripture is telling us Joseph did something, and because he did it, God could bless it. 
He didn't just complain. He didn't just lie down in the dust and pray to die. Maybe he did have that moment. He was a human being. But he figured out a place to manifest his purpose. And purpose is manifest, manifested daily. Purpose is that stuff in you that you carry that you just let out of you and you get better and better and better at it. We all believe that one day we'll wake up and glamorously it will be revealed. It is in you. What are you passionate about? What comes out of you naturally? What do people around you tell you that you do well? What is the most consistent compliment you get of your life? Start paying attention. Your gift mix is unique. Your spiritual gifts, your natural gifts, your aspirations, your dreams, your abilities, your desires, they are unique. That is why you are your purpose. And in that horrible, horrible job where you feel so restricted, you better get busy finding that purpose and releasing it. Otherwise, you might just die there. My gifts are not my purpose. My position and titles are not my purpose. I am my purpose. You are your purpose. Who are you? Who has God made you to be? You see, Joseph was called house slave. Joseph was called prisoner. But he didn't care because he knew who he was in God, because he knew that he had a God-given dream. He left all of those titles alone, and he got busy being who he was. Do you know that Joseph's actual destiny was simply to be second in charge to IC? If he had died in part of his house, guess what? He would have made it. If he had died in prison, he would have made it twice, because that's all he ever was. He was never the lead guy. He was never the first guy. He was simply second in charge. That was his destiny. And because he would not let himself be defined by what others called him, he was ultimately called Prime Minister of Egypt. So your identity and your values will dictate your ultimate destiny, whether it is for God or for yourself. See, values stay consistent. If our values shift in the situation we're in, they're not values. <laughs> I'm not sure what they are, Marsha, masks or something. But if your values shift around the different people you are, they are not your values. And we have a problem as human beings. Pando um, spoke and he taught us very difficult words, cognitive dissonance. And this is our problem as human beings because we come into church and we really want our value to be holiness and purity and loving our neighbors. But then we get out with our friends and our actual value is be the man, have the fun. <laughs> Satisfy your desires. And then we come back to church and we know that our value is Jesus. And then we're out there. What is your value? Well, just get honest. Stop shaming yourself and just own it. God, I think that if I don't act like this, nobody will like me. Just get honest and then start dealing with it because that's a lie. And so you must take your dissonance and make it in harmony with God in Tando. You see, Joseph's values, I mean, we would have completely understood if he lost his whole mind and acted like a freak. Hey? Totally. But Joseph's values were so entrenched in him, he was so committed to him, that when Potiphar's wife harasses him daily, now young men, this wasn't like, hey bro. This was daily. This woman was after him because he had a hot bod. That's exactly what it says in Scripture. Go read it. I am not lying to you. 
daily. And one day, it's so interesting to me, he, he walks into the house to, co to complete his duties, and there's nobody else there. Well, where were they? Guess what? Mrs. Potiphar was like, I'm over this. <laughs> and she comes out, and she does her thing, and she grabs his cloak, and he runs out naked. Now, that's a little problematic for me, but I guess Egypt is really hot, so, you know, maybe you only wore one garment. I don't know. But any case. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that he was so integrous he was so together and his values were so clear that he didn't just give in to her to make his life easier. He didn't think to himself because it says that Potiphar withheld absolutely nothing from him except his wife. He didn't suddenly start in his brokenness and his dysfunction thinking, hmm, well, I've got everything else. Why can't I have the wife too? Surely he would understand. Surely he would be happy to share. And here's another thing. Joseph was a house slave accused of raping his mistress. There is no recourse. There is no foot to stand on. Only one winner in that scenario, the mistress. But Joseph isn't killed. Why? Because I think everybody involved in that situation knew that Mrs. Potiphar was not nearly as integrous as Joseph was. They could see clearly, this woman is rubbish, but this man is worth something. I'm being very extreme, sorry. But the point is, is that's why he gets sent to prison and not beheaded. Genesis 40, verse 20 to 22 says, this is in prison. On the third day, oh, okay, so sorry, before we get there. So in prison, now we don't know how long Joseph was in prison, but Joseph's process took 13 years. Some of you are six months into yours, just saying. <laughs> sorry, Lire, sorry, Lire. Lire accused me of throwing shade on millennials in the, in the foyer earlier, just, and I promised I'd try not to drag you guys, but hey, <laughs> there's some promises you can't keep to be integrous. Um, and so in prison, <laughs> Joseph meets the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the baker of Pharaoh, and they've been a little disgraced because Pharaoh just got upset with them. And they both have dreams, and the cupbearer's dream, Joseph interprets it for him, and the dream is in three days, you'll be restored and you'll go back to Pharaoh. Sorry, baker, in three, three days, your head will be chopped off and your body will be fed to the birds. And in that moment, there's this, this thing where Joseph grabs the cupbearer and he says, please remember me to Pharaoh. Okay. Um, and nothing happens. The cupbearer goes back and he forgets about Joseph. Um, two years later, this is where we're picking up. And one of the points I wanted to make there is that our desperation can sometimes get us to do desperate things to see our purpose fulfilled. And in that moment, because he's a human, Joseph suddenly tried to grab an opportunity. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking opportunities, get me right. But he was kind of putting his trust in the cupbearer. And here's the problem with that. Joseph must have felt so forgotten for those two years. Joseph must have thought that night, tomorrow he's reinstated. Here's my chance, baby. In a week, I'm going to be out of this joint. And then two years he had to wait. And sometimes we make disappointment ourselves. Because in that moment, I think Joseph forgot about God for a second. This man's going to get me out of here. This situation, this place. You know, we believe that if I just get this promotion, if I just get a new job, then everything's going to be okay. Winnie the Pooh says, wherever I go, there I am. It is actually one of the most profound things anybody has ever said. Because wherever you go, there you are. And if you haven't dealt with yourself between here and there, it's going to just be the same you pitching up there. 
So wherever you go, there you are. So best you get working on your inner things. And so I think Joseph, in that, that must have been the bleakest two years of Joseph's life. And so guess what he had to do? Exactly what you and I have to do. So then disappointment sets in. Are we going to give up now? Are we going to get angry with God and say, you've forsaken me? I want to tell you right now, if God ever forsakes you, just die. Because there is no point. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it's never true that you are forsaken by God, because the world will literally just fall off its axis. And so we pick up the story in prison, Joseph 40, verse 20 to 22. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And what that is telling us is that God's timeline is perfect. If you are not yet beautiful, hold on. It's, all it means is it's not your time. And Joseph tried to speed up his time because God had put eternity into his heart. That promise was coming. He knew it was coming. But not so that God, that man can discern God's doings. And the issue of that is that God wants our love. He wants our trust. We are only going to know him in our lack. If you have never suffered a sickness, how will you know him as healer? If you have never suffered a lack of resources, how will you ever find out that he's a provider? If you have never been lonely, who is a friend? And so doubt and unbelief equal no faith. In our humanness, it's easy to begin to doubt God, to lose our belief, and to become double-minded. Now, James tells us in, the book, uh, in his book that he wrote that um, a double-minded man's prayers will not be answered by God. It's as simple as that. You think I'm throwing shade, Leray? Read James, Lord. Um, <laughs> And this is that issue of integrity, that part of why God is God is because he is fully integrated into himself. How do I know this? Well, let's go back right to the beginning. Do you know that in the book of Genesis, it tells us that every single day in the evening, God would walk with Adam and Eve. Every day, that was his habit. And I imagine they would chat about like what happened in that day and uh, you know, why did Adam name a hippopotamus a hippopotamus? Don't say anything. <laughs> Somebody suggested at band practice when I shared that, that it was because they had lots of hips, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, but that was their habit. That was God's habit. Do you know that the day Adam and Eve allowed the serpent to deceive them, and what was that deception that God was holding out of them? That serpent was telling them, God isn't as good as you think he is. And they chose to believe that. That day, when they ate that fruit, God didn't come flying out of heaven the second they ate that fruit. Why? He came at the time he comes. He knows everything. He came at the time he came because for him, nothing had changed. They're hiding in a bush with scratchy underwear on. They're fig leaves. But nothing has changed for God. And he says, where are you? He knows exactly where they are. But he's giving them a chance to actually own their sin. 
And they won't. They do what you and I do. They blame. They blame the serpent. They blame each other. And all they do is isolate themselves. But God did not change. Why? Because Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. There, is no, there has never been a second choice. And so God came down like he did because he was like, this is the whole point of Jesus dying. Before eternity began, Jesus agreed, I will be the sacrifice. God said, that's great. And there he was, exactly the same as he always has been. This is how undivided God is. That's how undivided he is to you. And in your dreams and your longings and your desires, this is the integrous God you trust and you stand before. Being angry at God has absolutely no value. Being honest with God does. And sometimes we do get angry, get honest, but very quickly realize he is your greatest ally. He's your greatest friend. He's the one that's going to make this dream come to pass. And we are out of time, but just to end, Genesis 41 verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And just to round up this thing of process, what if Joseph fully understood how to formally present himself to Pharaoh because he had been in Potiphar's house? What if the success of Joseph's rulership for 40 years afterwards in Egypt was because he spent time in prison and he knew exactly what the populace thought about Pharaoh? See, Paul Manwaring says, and he preaches a whole series of sermons called, God wastes nothing. He uses everything. And so whatever, wherever you are in your process right now, God is right there with you. Will you choose to wake up in the morning, and even if you are serving a pagan boss, will you choose to go to work and dare to live out your purpose so that God can release your destiny? Amen.